Yo, 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 yo! Ringer FC. This is Donnie Kwok, East Coast Bureau Chief of the Ringer. Two-man pivot today with my man, Micah Peters. What's well, up, Micah? Well, what, what, what? What's going on? We have an action, action-packed episode today. We're going to take a look at all of the crunch derbies from around world soccer, including the one in Manchester, Der Klassiker, Super Classico, the Asian Champions League final, which I know Michael watched. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, do you even know who played in it? No, I don't. I actually don't know who played in it, but I'm sure I didn't that wa- you I can't say that I watched me. it. Oh, really? I'm just going to tell you that uh, it's a two-legged tie, and the Kashima Antlers from Japan beat Persepolis from Iran. It was nil-nil in the second leg. I think Kashima won two-nil in the first leg. So congratulations, congratulations to the Kashima Antlers. We're also going to talk later on in the episode with the writer of a piece we just published on the scout who's convincing Mexican-American dual national prospects to represent El Tri. We'll also have a little bit of MLS talk and a preview of the international break. But first, Jose. You can go for stats. That's, that's the way people that don't understand football analyze football is with stats. Um, I don't go for stats. I go for what I felt and for what I... I I watch in the game. Micah, Jose's... Well, first of all, shout out to <sighs> our dearly departed XG God because I actually agree with Jose that the people that don't understand football <laughs> analyze it with stats. Take that, XG God. Ryan uh. isn't even here to defend himself. Micah, I know you watched the 3-1 uh, Manchester Derby, City 1, of course. What are your immediate thoughts after watching that game? Well, I mean... <sighs> What are my immediate thoughts? Well, I mean, Jose I guess it's was forty-eight like, hours. It's forty-eight hours later. So yeah, it's your... been forty-eight hours later. I, I would say that the game is basically as fine of exclamation point that you can put on the fact that this is the roles of the two Manchester, Manchester clubs reversed. I mean, this is like City came in. There was never any kind of conception from first kick that United were going to win this game um, and also Manchester City to I guess <clears throat> save off the kind of comeback that they suffered in April of last year put the game out of reach with a third goal that was at the end of a 44 pass move you know which one I'm talking about uh, it was everywhere so I mean I like the yeah. 44 pass move, by the way, I have to admit, because this match, the, the Manchester Derby was happening at the same time as the Arsenal Wolves match. So I had the two screen thing going. So I only really saw like the tail end of that 44 pass move, the Gundogan goal. Mm-hmm. And the commentators on NBC Sports were kind of, it, they weren't building in excitement. And, and so it didn't grab my attention as the way it should have. I just rewatched it. On, um, on match of the day and the commentators there were kind of like already kind of predicting that this was going to end in a goal and their voices were rising. I mean, it was, when you watch the play in totality, it's just a clinic on how to hold the ball and, and Manchester's United players were just dumbfounded and I standing mean, in concrete. To the point where uh, Ilkay Gundogan received, a, it was like the, the last pass was an actual cross into the, <laughs> into the six yard box like and, and Ilkay Gundogan was just standing there by himself, like enough to, he had time to take the ball down and then slot fast to Haya. Like that was how much the United team had been pulled apart. I mean, Jose doesn't like stats, so he wouldn't like 
44 passes for a goal. He also probably wouldn't like only one shot on target, which was Anthony Martial's penalty. He uh, also wouldn't like the fact that United are now uh, just as far from the top of the table as they are from the bottom. They're 12 points back of Manchester City and 12 points above Cardiff City. Um, In eighth place and the lowest they've been after 12 games of a Premier League season. Oh, uh, let's see. What are some more stats? Uh, Here's a stat. Only four other sides in the league have uh, conceded more goals this season. Fulham has 31. Huddersfield has 22. Cardiff has 25. And Burnley has 25. United have conceded 21. Yikes. Here's a, here's a funny stat. Uh, Alexis Sanchez and Romelu Lukaku, both of who, whom came on as subs, strung together a combined four passes <laughs> in their time on the pitch. Phil Foden came on basically in stoppage time and completed seven passes in two minutes. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, it's just really... <sighs> Another stat was that early on when the first Chiron of... You know, the possession stats came across the screen watching the game on Sunday morning. Uh, Manchester City had something like 93% possession. They completed like 100-something passes, and United have only completed like 20 at, by the time <laughs> it came up. So, yeah, it was it was really a comprehensive uh, shellacking, as it were. The one thing as a neutral that I, I felt kind of cheated out of was seeing Pogba play and I look back you know it seems always for some reason or another Pogba misses the derbies because uh, there have been five of them since he's come back to United he's only played in two of them and of those two matches they were a split and of course last April uh, he famously scored two goals and a victory the other three last year uh, I guess last December they lost he was out for a yellow card or a red card suspension for this match, uh, there was one. There was one. He wasn't on the bench. I don't exactly remember the circumstances around that one. And for this game, he had some kind of slight injury. Yeah, he picked up uh, a knock at the end of uh, the Juventus game in midweek, uh, right? According to so, reports. Yeah. According to reports. So because of that, it necessitated you know starting Fellaini. Okay, it didn't. It didn't necessitate that. That's that's my thing. Okay, so when you see well, the lineup, so, or McTominay, or who are you going to Fred? I guess. Well, you know. it's just the fact that. The when you look at the, the the lineup sheet before the game even starts, and you see that uh, Mourinho is starting a midfield three of Fellaini, Herrera, and uh, Modic to chase wow, around <laughs> to chase, and the the basically Modic and Herrera were man marking Bernardo Silva and David Silva, and you can guess how well that went. It was just like, let's just smash everything to pieces and disrupt their rhythm, which is is like such a two years ago tactic. Um, yeah, I mean, like, and again, he didn't have to play who he played in midfield because he spent 50 million pounds on Fred in the summer. So what is what? the, what's going on? I have another question. When's the last time anyone has seen Jesse Lingard dancing? It's wow. been a minute. Wow. It, it's, it's been amazing. He's probably got like the most elaborate dance on deck. He just hasn't scored in forever. Wow. I really, I didn't even think about it until now. I haven't seen the shoot dance in the Premier League yet. And it's because <laughs> Jesse Lingard is. It's sad because I actually like Lingard, but I mean, he might as well have been a ghost. Like, I mean, he got subbed off at the, you know, for Lukaku, I think, right in the 57th minute. So who then immediately came on and won a penalty. Yeah. Credit to him doing yeah. something. Um, what did you think about Sergio Aguero's 
I've heard some people call it blonde, but it's silver, it's right? Silver. Yeah, it's silver. silver. I don't, it's, it, it is, looks dope. It, I am fully on board with the like aging striker clinging to youth by, you know, like <laughs> going tax evasion platinum. Like that's, that's, uh, it's kind of like a, the, the protagonist of some like Netflix sci fi telenovela or some shit. Well, I mean, like, he looks like a Final Fantasy character. It was great. And so was his finish. I, I'm, I'm on board with the hair. The finish was amazing. Like, no angle. And it just fucking like, he just went right it. through De Gea's hands. De Gea, must, sorry for De Gea. I feel sorry for him. Um, what did you make of Raheem Sterling doing the little <laughs> step overs? Okay, so. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a FIFA tactic. You I can definitely can't, do that in FIFA. I, uh, so. Wait, so just to set the table for uh, the listeners. At the very end of the match, when uh, the Etihad crowd was olaying every pass, basically Sané, Leroy Sané, and uh, Raheem Sterling were just playing triangles, uh, keep away, and United couldn't get near the ball. And at one point, Sterling was just standing over the ball doing stepovers to nobody. Uh, and there was no Roy Keane there to try to break his leg. Uh, and he actually got scolded by both Juan, Juan Mata. Mata. Juan but Mata. then also Pep, Pep apparently, or, uh, you know, was seen on TV scolding him and afterwards said that he was talking to him about I don't know. It's one of those things where like Kyrie complains about Jamal Murray shooting that three to try to get 50. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, like, I l- listen, I, I am on record everywhere as being exceedingly pro taunting. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't really. So you weren't secretly hoping that somebody would go in for like a reducer and, and take out his ankle? I mean, Fellaini kind of did a half-hearted reducer. Um, <laughs> there was, uh, but I mean, like. I, I, I think it's fine. Ultimately, <laughs> I mean, just not listen, this is just this is me who the most that I've liked Jose Mourinho all year is when he came on to the pitch at full time in Turin and cupped his ear like, "Excuse me, what were y'all talking about?" <laughs> After it's, getting it's funny. so lucky with that <laughs> comeback win, <laughs> and that happened since our last episode. It's so funny how every week it's like the narrative changes. It's like up, down, up, down. I mean, we mentioned it even in the last episode, but he, you know, it's a roller coaster. Yeah. We should say about Sterling, he just signed a new deal making Ozil money. Actually, a little bit less than Ozil. 300K per week, pounds, through 2023. Good to be Raheem Sterling. Great to be Raheem Sterling. I just saw this uh, stat map that or this graphical map, I should say, that Soccer.com put out. Hopefully you're not looking at it, uh, Micah, because I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Since the start of this season, okay, so they basically did a U.S. map where they show what's the most popular selling Premier League team kit in that state. And only one state, in only one state, is Manchester City have the highest selling kit among Premier League teams. I'll give you two guesses. Okay. Uh, two guesses... Oof. We can't do twenty one questions. I can't. You get, I can't be like. Is it? Is it? <laughs> it's gonna take. It's gonna take too long. South? I'll give you. I'll give you two questions and then two guesses. Okay. Um, is it in a state that is? Is it in the northern United States? Or yes. Is it, yes. Okay. It's in the northern United States. Is it in the eastern or western half of the northern United States? Eastern. That's not a. It's not twenty one questions, but yeah, eastern. Okay. I know it's not 21 questions, but you know, like you didn't catch it. So, and you answered it. So whatever. Um, okay. Now I get two guesses. Mm, is it Maine? 
<laughs> no, it's New Jersey. This is taking too long. It's New Jersey. <laughs> it's kind of random. I don't know why. Why do you think Manchester City is so popular in New Jersey? Maybe because NYCFC fans actually cross the GW Bridge to get to Yankee Stadium and... I don't know. I mean, sure. I, I, I don't know. I don't know why it would be because New York New is Jersey United. If it's not New, York, well, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I honestly have nothing to base this off of. I encourage everyone to search out this map. I have it in front of me. Unfortunately, my geography is shit, and I don't. The, the, the names of the states aren't on the map. It's just the the team shields. I can say that strangely, Maryland and Pennsylvania are Chelsea. I was very surprised to find out that Louisiana was a Tottenham state. Interesting. Tottenham has Tennessee as well. Uh, I think, th what's that up top there? Is that Wisconsin, Iowa? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> check check out the map for yourself. All right. So that's the Derby. We're going to wow, go into the other. Your geography is so bad. No, 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 no. Do you know what those two, two are on the top? Yes. Wisconsin and Iowa, right? Oh, no, 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 no. Minnesota, oh, Minnesota, Minnesota, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Sorry, Mick Schuster, Minnesota. I knew, I, Minnesota's on top of Minnesota. Iowa, yeah. which is Chelsea. And just quickly, Liverpool has Florida, Texas, New Mexico, Nevada, Washington State. See, I can name them. I wonder how this matches up with like political affiliations. Mm. Okay, so we'll go into the other derbies in a minute, but let's just quickly do a Premier League roundup. Uh, it's the first time in history, uh, this is another stat for Jose, that three teams are, un I guess this isn't the type of stat he was talking about, but there's three teams that are unbeaten after 12. Of course, that's City, Liverpool, and Chelsea. Do you uh, think any of them are going to lose anytime soon? The next match for Chelsea is actually Spurs. Right. And Chelsea's I mean, well, uh, I, th I think that we'll have that question answered after the international break breaks up some of this rhythm that all of them are in. Elsewhere... Newcastle, two in a row. Newcastle back. Do you see those Rondon goals? Solomon uh, <laughs> Rondon, two, two headers. Yeah, I mean, like two very husky workman-like headers. Uh, the 2-1 win perfect over, over, over Bournemouth. Um, right, and they just beat Watford. To, they beat the two kind of Cinderella teams back-to-back. -back, so, uh, Are you ready to Newcastle declare back. Newcastle back? or? <laughs> No, not really, but I think Rafa has this kind of irrepressible, I mean, he's just good, you know, and eventually, and and, and Rondon makes a difference. I think Ki Sung Young, the Korean uh, midfielder is back in the mix now. He makes a difference. Uh, I didn't confess, I didn't watch the match with Bournemouth, but I saw the highlights and they looked definitely more threatening than I've seen them in the past because usually I just skip their highlights because they're so boring, but... <laughs> Yeah, in, incisive commentary on that incisive match. Incisive commentary on that match. Moving swiftly Did you see, on. Uh, yeah, Newcastle back, Cardiff City. Did you see Sol Bamba's goal at the death? First of all. Did you see Sol Bamba go shirtless and then the referee have to ask around to see if he actually took his shirt off? I did see that. He <laughs> lied to the referee. He conned him, but good for him. Good for the, bad for the ref for not seeing what was obvious, an obvious shirt takeoff. Can't ban the snowman. Happy for Neil Warnock for that. I have to say, if you work in the Cardiff City social media department, you're slipping. Because Soul Bamba, Mo Bamba, Sheck West, couldn't you just do a remake? You should put the song over the highlight of the goal, you know? I mean, yeah. I mean, like, it's a, it's a, it's a ready-made <laughs> like video idea player. for so... social content. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, Fulham lost to Liverpool 2-0 there, historically 
terrible, basically. Uh, I saw a story on the BBC that actually no Premier League manager has been sacked yet, which is kind of interesting because last year at this time, five had already been sacked. Uh, But we're mentioning Fulham here. Uh, Jokanovic is obviously on the super hot seat, as, as is Mark Hughes at Southampton. Why do you think there's no managers that have been sacked yet? It's kind of... I mean... Remember remember last year at this time, it was like Frank DeBoer and Coleman and who else? Uh, Tony Pulis. Tony it Pulis. Was like every, yeah, like there was like so many people getting shit canned. Well, I guess there's also a lot of One of, of the dominoes has season. to fall first, you know? Right. But, I mean, and Fulham, Fulham has had... Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, like you said, a historically terrible start. Uh, their line is uh, one win, two draws, and nine losses in their 12 games. Uh, negative 20. F- negative 20 goal differential <laughs> and sitting on five points in November, which is not great. <laughs> it, it turns out that defense actually matters. It's interesting. As just finishing. <laughs> uh, did you see the Charlie Austin post-game interview? After yes, I the- did see the Charlie Austin post-game interview as well as uh, the second half of that uh, Southampton-Watford game where he had the goal called back. And the the player that was running off sides, I forget exactly who it was. It was Mayo Yoshida, I believe. Mayo Yoshida. I mean, was in an offside position, but didn't affect the play. And I could see where, like, the referee might see that. He could. I mean, like, from the... I mean, from the perspective of the sideline. I mean, it's the same thing that happened with the the Mane goal, or not goal, I guess, in the Liverpool-Arsenal match from two weeks ago. It's like... That's the subjective part of offsides is whether the offsides player is interfering with a play when he doesn't right, receive the ball. Right, the part that's left up to the discretion of the referee that they have to make a decision on in like seconds of time. Yeah, I mean, I think they got that wrong. I also the, think they got that wrong for the record. The interview was funny because it was kind of being treated as like Charlie Austin was lost his head a little bit, but he's still English. So it still was kind of polite. It wasn't like a fucking F-bomb-laden diatribe. He was, it was just kind of funny. He just sounded angry, but like angry with a British accent. Just angry, kind of but sing-songy and cheerful. Yeah. Was... He's like, fall this, fall that. <laughs> <laughs> terrible. Terrible British accent, sorry. Well, um, terrible to you. I thought it was delightful. <laughs> a related note, I just saw that this week, Premier League clubs are actually voting on VAR. Uh, I don't know how true that is. I don't remember where I read that, but I mean, it seems to be inevitable after the World Cup with its use in some of these cup competitions, with its use overseas. Generally, people seem to be in favor of it when I speak of players and the public. It's coming next year. It's got to be, right? Yeah, it has to be. I, th- I mean, like there's, it's been employed in too many different ways, in too many different like mediums of the game and then also it has been shown to work and players are advocating for it and the coaches voting on it so i mean like i'm assuming that it's a matter of when not if yeah i mean i think the world cup was really turning point there because i think it worked really well and yeah so one last news bit that i saw today uh susanna dinage has been named the new chief executive of the premier league first woman i guess she's just the third chief executive she's replacing richard scudamore who's stepping down next month after 19 years. Uh, Susanna Dinage was the global president of Animal Planet on Discovery. I know nothing else about her, but given that she's a woman, I think she'll do a great job. I think, I I read this, Michael, this might interest you. All 20 Premier League clubs 
have been asked for a 250,000 pound contribution so that Scudamore can be given a 5 million pound farewell gift. And I think this is at the behest of the Chelsea chairman, I believe. It's quite a, you know, some of these teams aren't buying players and yet they're going to be giving 250,000 pounds for the CEO as just like a... Well, uh, yeah. Really I mean, like you got to pass around the collection plate when it comes time for retirement, <laughs> you know? A $5 million parting gift. That's great. All right, let's go into these other world soccer derbies from the weekend. And Micah, yesterday we published a post by you about them. Let's start with the one that was probably, was this the best match of the season in Europe? The Der Klassiker between Dortmund and Bayern Munich? Yes. I mean, like in terms of like the on-field product, the actual game, this was definitely the best game of the weekend, possibly. It's the the only Bundesliga's match I've watched. I confess I've watched this season and it was fucking entertaining, I have to say. I mean, it had everything. And I mean, there were five goals. Uh, There might have been six. One was disallowed. I really... I I want to say that like I feel like Lewandowski was hard done by on the Lady Huazar, but anyway. Um, also, Marco Royce's finish uh, to the the go ahead goal. Uh, the I mean, sorry, the the, the equalizer, the one that drew that drew Dortmund two two level was one Little of half the yeah. It was gorgeous, especially after he missed like two sitters, and it was just kind of like what the f-? like Dortmund is shooting themselves <laughs> in the foot. And then he comes up out of nowhere with this half volley first time in traffic, like on the tip of the 18-yard box. And it was electrifying. I was trying to think of like the right analogy. And actually, strangely enough, we might have actually talked about this on On Shuffle, your music podcast. Mm -hmm. To me, the match struck me analogous to Bayern would be Jay-Z via uh, Jay-Z circa, sorry, Kingdom Come. And Dortmund was Lil Wayne taking the show me what you got beat and dissing him with it. I very much like this analogy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like Dortmund, uh, well, Dortmund leads the 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 Bundesliga on 27 points um, and are unbeaten through their first 12, 11 games, sorry. Um, and, and, ju- and just spanked Atletico Madrid 4-0 in the Champions League. Yes, exactly. And it's just kind of, there's this feeling that the like the Bundesliga is interesting again because Bayern, the perennial superpower, are sitting fifth in the table on 20 points. It's just kind of like you have, and Bayern is also aging, to your point. I mean, there was, I think that probably your analogy is summed up best uh, on the, on this, Goal that this move that didn't actually come of it. Nothing came of it. Uh, Jaden Sancho basically pushed the ball into space past Matt Hummel, who was apparently reportedly playing with a head cold, um, into space, like beat him easily, just running straight by him, and then laid it back to Paco Alcacer, who wasted the chance. But anyway, it's just kind of like this old and still good Bayern team, but Dortmund are young and exciting and unpredictable again. And it's just like they're, they can't seem to miss. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the, the whole analogy is that Manuel Neuer, Thomas Muller, Frank Ribery, Mats Hummels, Boateng, Jerome Boateng, they're all huge names with pedigree. It's just, they seem washed. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like Hove, you know, after kingdom come, Hove came back, you know, like, you know, and, 
American Gangster and and four 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 and all that stuff. So uh, I wouldn't say that those guys are buried, but it was very kind of interesting to see Jaden Sancho. You mentioned the eighteen year old British starlet uh, Jacob Larson on the other side, uh, the Danish winger. They were just running rampant, and so was um, Mahmoud Dahoud and. I mean, like if Christian Pulisic would have been healthier in the game, it probably would have been him too. How about Manuel Akanji, the Dortmund center back? I was just sending Micah earlier today. I saw on Reddit that Manuel Akanji is the Swiss center back for Dortmund. He was on some Swiss TV show. The little clip on Reddit was basically his skill, or one of his skills, obviously he's a world-class soccer player, is being able to do multiplication in his head. You know, like basically any two-digit number times any two-digit number. And so basically on this Swiss on this Swiss talk show, the host was just asking someone in the audience to name, to throw out random numbers. And he would be able to, Manuel Akanji was able to calculate them in his head before the host was even able to type them in his calculator. Micah yeah. saw this and was disturbed. I, I didn't I was even say that I was, I was tickled. As, as, uh, disturbed is strong. I'm just going to say that it <laughs> went the wrong way. I was just saying, like, okay, so... Have you seen Borg, Bjorg, or Bjorg versus John McEnroe, that movie with Shia LaBeouf? I have not. I heard it. Is it I heard it's good. It's it's uh, it's awesome. I I loved it. Uh, Chris Almeida, our colleague, wrote a review of it on TheRinger.com. Chris watches a lot of tennis, and he wasn't as taken with it as I am, but whatever. It has Shia LaBeouf in it. Anyway, there's this scene in it where um, young John McEnroe has to do mental math in front of like a whole dining room table of guests. And it's like shot really well and kind of edited to make a really quiet environment seem like just super harrowing. I mean, like he kind of stumbles and he struggles to remember or like struggles with the last like he, he, I think he gets like three right. And then the last one is like this really long and pregnant pause. So Doing that in front of an entire studio audience, I mean, even though Akanji is really good at it, I felt weird. Yeah, about Akanji it as did all. not did not stutter, or he was on the nose. But yeah, I mean, it was a little. I mean, I could see I would be a little off putting. I was just kind of amazed that Akanji is can fucking do multiplication like that in his head within seconds. It's, it's a good parlor trick. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> good, good, good parlor trick. <laughs> Jaden Sancho. Has, has he made Christian Pulisic obsolete, Micah? Uh, why do you always have to put pit successful women against each other? I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> the, the, I, they're both, uh, I mean, like, there were just questions about whether or not Jaden Sancho could be a starter. We, I mean, like, we discussed it here on this very podcast. I, I don't think that— I think he's proven the affirmative. <laughs> so you think that Christian Pulisic ends up, uh, you know, like Fulham's January signing? <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. I, w- I just read that uh, Jaden Sancho tripled his salary from 20,000 to 60,000 euros. And I was just thinking how much money he would be making if he were in the Premier League. I know he's only 18, but we just talked about fucking Raheem Sterling making 300K a week, 300,000 pounds a week. Raheem Sterling's like 23, so he's older, but. Um. Yeah, Sancho's not long for Dortmund, I don't think. Yeah, I absolutely believe that he's going to continue to ball out until he goes to a larger club. Yeah, but actually being 18 and being there, I mean, you couldn't ask for a better setup for him. Yeah, I mean, like, these are the same things that we were discussing with uh, Pulisic. I mean, like, he, should he go to Liverpool or United or Chelsea or wherever, or should he stay at Dortmund and continue to develop? Um. 
it depends upon, you know, what you think that kind of development, well, well, where that would be best served. I mean, I don't know. If Sancho goes to like City, who is he going to, whose spot is he taking? Yeah, he'd be getting the Phil Foden minutes. Yeah. We, I don't know if, uh, I know Pulisic has been called up for the U.S. England friendly. I don't know if Sancho has, but imagine them playing opposite each other. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Elsewhere, the Super Classical, it's the Argentina Super Derby between Boca Juniors and River Plate. Micah, you wrote about this one as well. This is actually the first time. It's the Copa Lipadores, excuse me, final. It was the first leg. This is the first time, I think, or maybe first time in a long time since the two have uh, the two rivals have played in a in a Lipadores final. Um, first leg, it was postponed. Originally supposed to be on Saturday. There was like heavy flooding. It ended up being played on Sunday. Ended up in a 2-2 draw. Michael, you wrote about kind of the atmosphere in the stadium, in Boca Stadium. Um, what did you think? Right. So what I was kind of getting at in the piece of the winners and losers is that the, like a derby between, you know, crosstown rivals or whatever. I mean, like River Plate and Boca are separated by eight miles and the, the rivalry is so intense that there can't be like opposing fans in each other's stadium, right? Like it's live. And the thing about derbies that is so magical is that it feels as though like they swing free from everything. Like nothing matters beyond what's happening on the field. And it was just uh, like, there was better soccer being played this weekend probably, but nothing, there was no better like emotional content. Like the thing that I was writing about in the winners and losers was the, the Dario Benedetto goal that came uh, just before half the game finished two two. He scored the, the go ahead goal. Oh, with this glancing header to the far post. And then he just runs to the, to the corner flag, like, roaring like the like his teammates are jumping all over him it just and then the camera pans to the fans in the stadium all drunken and shirtless and some of them are crying and it's just like some <laughs> of the best stuff that you can watch i love i love 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 watching you can feel it even watching on television um i guess depending on how your sound system is as well but just that kind of atmosphere i mean uh, to be honest like in the classic i think in dortmund stadium you saw some of that Oh yeah. At least at, at the end, you know, when the players are saluting the fans and you can see that you know, literally the stadium moving. Uh, but you know, that's what makes a derby. And I think, you know, just even seeing it not being there, it's a, it's a different, you know, these, the South American derbies or some Latin American derbies are different. You know, I mean, I think it's like more visceral or something, you know, I mean, like, I mean, like they have the, 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 like the, 20 foot high chain link fences that they don't have in Europe. <laughs> like it's like, it's well, actually, <laughs> yeah, I mean, not it's, you're not true. there's, they have the, those, those big, uh, fences, uh, at the, in the West Fallon stadium. That's not entirely true. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. That's actually a main feature of the of Dortmund stadium. Right. Yeah. But you know, you're just not going to get that at the Etihad, you know, when people are paying maybe 500 pounds for a seat and eating whatever prawn sandwiches, so that was, uh, it ended in a 2-2 draw, and the second leg is coming on November 24th. Uh, definitely watch out for that. And also, interestingly, the Copa Libertadores final, that's no away, away goals rule. How it should be. <laughs> uh, so you will be, you'll, you'll definitely be watching on November 24th then, since this is your ideal situation. Yeah, man, it just start anew. It's their, their level, and you know every goal counts the same. 
Uh, elsewhere around the globe, quickly, Barcelona lost at home for the first time in over two years, and they conceded four goals at home for the first time since 2003. Micah, in 2003, you were... Uh, what, an embryo? Is that what you were about to say? <laughs> nah, I literally don't know. I mean, you were born in what, like 98 or something? I was born in 91, Donnie. Thank okay. you. Okay, so you were 12. <sighs> That's don't, some interesting they, mental maths you're doing they, over there. Is that... <laughs> So they conceded four goals at home for the first time since Michael was 12. Uh, they lost four to three to Real Betis and the immortal 37-year-old Joaquin, who scored, I think, the second goal. Uh, and for the first time in their history, more stats. Barcelona lost a game in which Messi scored two or more. So what does this mean? Defense is important, right? Yeah, it means defense is important. And also Joaquin will never die. That's That's <laughs> basically what... You know, that's literally what immortal means, but also you should watch, if you can, any amount of Joaquin that you can consume. <laughs> Who will retire first, Joaquin or Brad Guzan? Uh, probably Joaquin will retire first. Yeah. I think Brad Guzan will be doing like actual, he'll move on to doing actual like network, like, you know, like a uh, punditry spots in the goal mouth. <laughs> We'll kick it down to the pitch now where Guzan is holding a clean sheet. Uh, all right, so other La Liga news hot off the presses. Santiago Solari, Santiago Solari, uh, the interim manager, once interim manager at Real Madrid who re replaced Julian Lopetegui, is now the permanent Madrid manager, contract through 2021. And this is coming off of four wins in four matches. My God, does he make it to 2021? Uh, I mean, no, <laughs> I mean, like, does, does he make, does he make, does he make all available evidence points to him not sticking out the length of his contract, but I like, I mean, I, I think a more reasonable estimate would be like maybe a couple months. <laughs> Good for him for getting paid regardless though. Yeah. Get your money, Santiago Solari. Did you see this report that Real Madrid are in for a possible shock swoop? Alexis Sanchez in January? Please. <laughs> Please take him. <laughs> Just <laughs> yeah. uh, The last match that you wrote about actually was not a derby, but a very interesting Serie A matchup between AC Milan and Juventus. Just tell us how Gonzalo Higuain's Saturday was. Uh, I think that it's, poss it's possible that it was like the saddest Saturday that anyone has had. Um, he, I mean, the story with Gonzalo Higuain is that basically he scored 50 goals in 85 appearances for Juventus over his, over his couple of years there, brought them two league titles to the cusp of Champions League greatness. Uh, and then they bought Cristiano Ronaldo, which meant that Gonzalo Higuain was, you know, they didn't need him anymore. So he Surplus. went on this, yeah, he was, he was, he went on a season long loan to Juventus and, because revenge is the best revenge and the dish best, you know, like revenge is a dish best served revenge or whatever. He was, you know, like it was supposed to be his revenge game. Uh, and instead he had his penalty saved by Woshek Chesney and then uh, got a red card out of frustration in the 83rd minute and left the field in tears. So it's kind of hard for a revenge match to go worse than that. Juve won two to one. And yes. I think they're, they're like miles ahead now in the table. 
Juventus are sort of running away at the top of the league at this point. I mean, like they're first on 34 points. Napoli is next closest with 28. And Milan all the way down at fifth with 21 points. Milan, who France football was reporting, it turned out to be an erroneous report that Arsene Wenger was poised to take over for Gennaro Gattuso. That didn't happen. Wenger denied it. Wenger-related, Thierry Henry has yet to win a match as manager of Monaco. Six played, four four losses, two draws. The last two losses, 4-0, one to Bruges in the Champions League and one to PSG uh, in Ligue 1. What can you say about Thierry Henry? I mean... Over his head? Well, yeah. I mean, like, ostensibly, because uh, Leonardo Jardim kind of was... A lot of the stuff that you can read about Jardim sacking will basically kind of absolve him of Monaco's recent struggles just because everything there is broken. I mean, they they haven't... They've, they've been basically since... Well, since the average fan came to know about AS Monaco, it was because they had, they got all this young talent, would develop it, and then sell them on, and then restart every 18 months. And they just haven't been doing that recently. So Monaco's team is really young and inexperienced. And, and I mean, like they're, it's difficult to dig out of a, you know, dig them out of a hole with, uh, without the experience in the locker room. And then again, Henri is a first-time manager, so yeah. I mean, like over his head, I think is I think you it's fair to say that. Yeah, they're currently in nineteenth place. Still early days, somewhat, but it looks like could be troubled times. So good luck, Tiari. Still love you. Uh, we don't actually have time to talk about this huge rash of football leaks documents that Der Spiegel is breathlessly reporting about every day. Mike, have you been reading them? I have been reading them. Um, it kind so we'll, of, we'll save it for next episode because they've been talking about what I mean. Obviously, the Ronaldo allegations came out in in those leaks, but then there's this Manchester City exposed series, the PSG racial profiling, uh, also European Super the League, European Super League. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's kind of like bombshell after bombshell. Uh, we'll get into it in in a future episode. I want to kind of look at them more carefully, but you guys should all be following Der Spiegel because they're doing some good work. And, uh, and definitely uh, reporting this stuff pretty thoroughly. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to welcome Andrew Helms, who's going to talk about the story he wrote today uh, that was published on The Ringer. Here's a little insider travel secret from our friends at Hotel Tonight. There are tons of empty hotel rooms out there just waiting to be booked. And Hotel Tonight has partnered with these awesome hotels to help them sell those unsold rooms, which means you get incredible deals. Seriously, if you love scoring amazing hotel deals, you've got to try Hotel Tonight. Forget scrolling through never-ending lists. Hotel Tonight shows you a select list of incredible deals at cool hotels they think you'll love. And they even give short profiles of each hotel, complete with all the info you need and pictures of what the rooms really look like. Plus, even though their name's Hotel Tonight, they're not just for last-minute bookings. You can also book in advance. Hotel Tonight is perfect for spontaneous weekend getaways, three-day weekends, staycations, road trips, business trips, booking a place with a pool, and more. So, to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now. And we're back, and happy to welcome... Andrew Helms to Ringer FC. You may remember Andrew's byline from the Ringer story documenting the U.S. men's 
utter failure, stunning failure to reach the 2018 World Cup. Today, he has another story that probably won't make the U.S. Soccer Federation very happy. The headline of that story is the man who's trying to convince some of America's soccer players to represent Mexico. Andrew Helms, welcome to the pod. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. So the man in question, and I encourage everyone to read this story, is a 47-year-old ex-semi-pro Dutch soccer player based in California whose full name is, it's a mouthful, Sasha Vandermost Van Speek. Van Spike. Van Spike, excuse me. And he is part of a scouting network that the Mexico Football Federation has established in the U.S., which is home to 36.3 million Mexicans and Mexican-Americans, as Andrew points out in the story. First of all, Andrew, how did you first come across Sasha and get the idea for this feature? Yeah, so in the in the last year, there have been a few um, really high-profile American prospects, who, um, Jonathan Gonzalez, Efrain Alvarez, top, top, top players who you know should have been in the pipeline for the U.S. men's national team for the next generation. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, right after the the World Cup collapse, we get word that Jonathan Gonzalez has chosen to represent Mexico. And so I was kind of curious, you know, how is this, how does this keep happening? Who are the people who are, who are uh, going out, going into the homes of these young Mexican-American players, dual nationals, folks who have the ability to represent two countries? And how is it that these kids who were born in California, you know, somehow end up representing U.S. soccer's biggest rival, uh, Mexico, internationally? And so the name that kept cropping up was Sasha Vandermost Van Spike. Uh, who has you know deep ties to the the Los Angeles community? He had worked for Shivas USA, the failed MLS club, and over the years had built all these great relationships with with the uh, Latino community in, in LA. And he was the guy who's more or less at the front lines of of Mexico's scouting network in the United States, identifying talent, uh, passing on names of players, and then um, is is the the way in. So I wanted to go out and spend some time with him and see what what it was like, what is the sales pitch and how is the current, you know, political moment with Trump, the wall, the, all this racist rhetoric, how is this playing out with, you know, you have these 15, 16 year old kids who have to make a choice pretty much between two countries, the country of their heritage or the country where they were born and live. And so it seemed like uh, a good thing to just kind of sink my teeth into. Um, yeah, that, but I was reading and you've already kind of touched on this a little bit, um, but your story paints Vandermost as this soccer nomad. Like he played in all these different places. He'd come to California in the summer. He met his girlfriend and then eventual wife here. Uh, he's been from Holland to California to Belize. Uh, tell us how he kind of fell into this uh, role as a scout for Mexico. Yeah, I mean, it started, I think I say it in the story, it started at Los Angeles International Airport. Mm -hmm. um, he, you know, he, was this guy, he's the Dutch guy, didn't really know what he wanted to do with his life and basically met um, uh, a guy from Northern California who was like, come on, dude, come to California, hang out. He lived out of a van for a while. He was like bombing up and down Highway the 1. With, <laughs> the van again, yeah. Can I just interject and say that D Dutch people are fucking cool? <laughs> Broad generalization, Dutch people are cool. I Continue. mean, he was he was hashtag van life before it was a, before it was an Instagram trend, yeah, right? The image of him, like of the, the two of them just going up and down the coast and like rolling up the seats of the van to them. How much pot do you think he smoked? Over, I mean, over the course of his soccer, he alluded to travels. a uh, yeah a less than scrupulous life over uh, <laughs> over those years. All you need Anyways, is to so, put goals in the bags of balls, you know. Yeah, I mean, we all had that you know that foreign coach who would come over and hang out, and he was that guy for a very long time. Um, 
But he stuck around and he met his wife and, and ends up starting a family in L.A. And so he's at LAX one day and meets and bumps into, he's wearing this kind of orange original game worn national team kit yeah as a kid dude I was impressed by that detail yeah a one of one by a guy that only had like 46 (laughs) caps yeah so he's he's got this original kit on and who does he bump into at LAX but Dennis DeClosa who is a um, legendary Dutch soccer coach who's just come over to LA to start up Chivas USA and suddenly you know the two hit it off over bonding over this kit but also bonding over a shared love of soccer and so you know, De- um, Sasha rises his way up. He starts out just as like a, you know, training the U15s, but ends up as the academy director. And when Chivas USA goes belly up, um, his old pal Dennis suddenly has a new job uh, running the youth recruitment and youth development for the Mexican Federation and says, Sasha, come on board. So he made a not pretty, a pretty easy choice to to go and and work for Mexico. And, you know, he he says it's been a great, experience they're super professional and and the thing that um this is one of the lines in, in the story is that there's this kind of difference in approach between the way US soccer and Mexico um handles players is that the the Mexican Federation uh is actually su- Mike Micah you have that quote on deck right yeah it's uh the Mexican Federation comes from a different approach than the US Federation the Mexican Federation approaches that it's the club's player he's your player and we're happy to work with him where US soccer comes in and says it's our player that's foolish um yeah that's the it's whole like quote. this it's this thing you know it's um and you talk to folks who uh go to a lot of youth games if a US soccer scout shows up they've got the US soccer badge on they're boldly announcing their presence um and that, and that there's, you know, it's a reason you understand why it's uh, MLS is not very old, right? The clubs aren't necessarily as powerful. The federation has a lot of power. It's kind of the inverse in Mexico where the the clubs of Liga MX literally run the federation. So it's a much more European style club focused approach, you know, and I was hanging out with Sasha at some youth games, scouting some players. Sasha had on no Mexico gear. There was no way you would know a Mexican fe- scout was was there. Um, and his point is, look, our our main um, duty is to the club, right? A national team player comes in, what, a couple times, a, a couple camps a, a year? Right. They're really developed by the club. It's our job to make sure the club feels comfortable and the club feels um, valued and make sure that they they trust that what we're doing. On the flip, is, isn't it the case that the USMNT or the US Soccer Federation's relationship with MLS is a little more fraught in that some people say that MLS actually makes the other CONCACAF teams better, more so than the U.S., the U.S. MNT? Oh, yeah. I, I think, I think the, the point is more that, you know, that there's this really strong, uh, you know, it's the, the ties between MLS and, and U.S. soccer are so from, go back from the inception of the league in the 90s, right? These two organizations are kind of inextricable. And you, you, you see with, uh, it's why when sometimes, you know, the priorities of they, U.S. soccer feels like we've, we birthed this league. So sometimes the priorities of what U.S. soccer wants can, can go above what the MLS club feels is, is best. And Mm -hmm. so you have this Mm -hmm. kind of inverting priorities there. Right. Uh, two of the guys you mentioned actually up top, Jonathan Gonzalez, who's 19 years old and Efron Alvarez. Efrenia. Efrenia, 16 years old. Uh, you mentioned both were born in California, and despite featuring for U.S. youth teams on different levels, according to the story, according to your reporting, they both felt passed over 
by U.S. soccer. And I know every individual case or every dual national story is different. But for these two particular players who, I guess, according to all accounts, are very promising prospects, do you think it's more a case of Vandermost and Mexico being aggressive or more strategic? Or is it U.S. dropping the ball? Or is it a combo of both? Yeah, I think it's all, it's all, it's one, it's super personal, right? I think the Hercules Gomez quote about that these Mexican Shout out to Herc. Herc are, are kind of torn between two countries, I think is 100% true. And they all really agonize over this choice. Um, but in some of those particular instances, uh, you know, Jonathan Gonzalez had featured over, I think, over 20 times for U.S. youth national teams. But whenever push came to shove, didn't make youth national team uh, World Cup rosters for under 17, under 20. And then after the World Cup didn't make, it seemed insignificant at the time, right? But you can imagine in the mindset of a, of a young player, it's like, look, I'm passed over for all these meaningful games and then I don't make a friendly roster and suddenly Mexico comes calling. I mean, the other thing is who's dominated CONCACAF over the last four years? It's Mexico. Right. And so... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're a young player, you know, it's it's some of these things are also cyclical. If the U.S. was dominating and winning um, tournaments and going to the World Cup, It'd you know, yeah, you know, that was the yeah, one. Th- there's a flip side of that, too, though, which is these players, you know, if they're thinking, I guess, about playing time and what their chances are, it would seem, you know, one team just made it to the round of 16 in, in the last World Cup. One team didn't even qualify. You might have more chance to play for USMNT than for El Tri. I mean, you mentioned it in the story that, I don't know, I can't remember if it was Vandermost's quote or Tuklosa, but it was basically like, we're not, you know, like the players that we scout here have to be better than the ones that we already have. It's not, you know, just some novelty to bring in Mexican-Americans. So Yeah, and, and you know, there are, you know, U.S. soccer was very adamant about putting this out to me, but there are players who have started with the U.S. team, gone to Mexico, and then come back. And one reason is maybe they felt more aligned to, you know, the values of U.S. soccer. But another reason... Or they just couldn't crack the lineup. (laughs) Right, you know. um, So FIFA's so generous and lax with this, isn't it? Aren't they? I mean, mean, the general rule is you can't have a competitive senior cap and come back, but you can play every level of youth. You can captain the youth team. You can do all sorts of things, right? Mm -hmm. Before... You file that one-time switch, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I I think the... The hard part to determine, and this was one of the hard things to determine in the in the story, is like the extent to which this is like a systemic problem with, and it's something that Hurt Gomez brought up a lot. It's like uh, he he said, you know, one time I tried to ask the folks at U.S. Soccer how many coaches in the youth setup speak Spanish. Couldn't give them an answer. Right. That was another thing like, that I was about to ask. Was just like, is there anything specific that the U.S. Soccer Federation is doing to, I guess, combat Mexico's recruiting they tactics? Could double Vandermos's paycheck. They, they could do that. You know, <laughs> more throw more money at the problem. <laughs> yeah, but I think it, it's you know, and and Herc made the point. It's like representation matters. Right. Um, you know, the, I think the story of Efra is really revealing that. There was definitely something that happened, and it's still, you know, I, I think my reporting has gotten a little closer to the truth of it, that there was one, his under-15 coach just thought he was a bad kid, but, like, he's 13 years Did old. Did anyone tell you this real story off the record? Yes. And, and what we're talking about now is Efra Alvarez was reportedly chose to go with Mexico because he essentially got 
blackballed or or painted as a bad kid, quote unquote, by uh, his U15 coach Mm -hmm. based on some incident or something that happened. Yeah. And I can't get into too many details because a lot of what I heard is off the record. But but basically that happened. But my, you know, I I used to be a teacher before this. And like one thing that uh, my principal used to say whenever I struggled with a student was like, go watch how that kid behaves in church. Mm. It's like, he doesn't mess up in church. And Ephra is great for the LA Galaxy. He's reportedly great you know, character for the Mexican national team. So, you know, in some ways, I think to just write off a 13 or 14 year old kid as a bad person is like lazy, a terrible mindset for a coach, <laughs> yeah. but also just like a terrible mindset for an educator, right? Like this is a young person who needs to be developed and brought along. And if, and if he's not acting the way he, you want him to off the field and, and that's carrying over on the field, you know, um, Think about what you can do as a coach differently rather than not invite him to the next camp. Right. Um, don't push someone away who's who's struggling. You know, This is a kid who's playing. Also, the crazy thing, right? He's 13. He's playing up two age groups and he's captaining the team. Right. <laughs> so like, how does that kid get shunted aside and thrown and tossed into like the, oh, well, you know, you did something bad at practice. So, I mean, the other thing personally, and maybe this is why I'll never be a football coach. Uh, is I kind of like a little bit of a bad attitude with my star players, you know? You want them to be a little bit anti-authority, personally. Right, Michael? That, that's how well, Michael I mean, yeah, was. That's, was com- that's, that's basically like my entire ethos to supporting <laughs> could, like any one player <laughs> is, yeah. you know, I, I, I want there to be at least the possibility that this person might give me a heart attack. So uh, how, I mean, you we were talking that they're, you know, exciting prospects. I mean, like, are they how good are they? And also, in addition to the two players that we're talking about, how many other kind of like potential impact players is the is the US missing out on? I mean, I guess potentially it could be legions yeah, of them. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's like you have two levels, right? It's the first level is you have a American soccer system that privileges, you know, people of means, right? Folks who live in the suburbs. Um, so you have on that on that level, you definitely are missing out on kids who it's it's not that they're not getting scouted. It's they're not given the resources and the training to actually develop to a level where they're even at able to play for a national team. You're right? Talking or, about lots of kids in like Southern California and Texas, right. like Latino or Hispanic yeah. strongholds, right? That might not have the resources that some of the suburban kids have. Yeah. And it's actually you're better off, right? If you're in um, Southern California, because maybe you get maybe you do well at a youth tournament and the LA Galaxy pick you up right. or whatever. Mm-hmm. What if you're in uh, you know Utah? Yeah. You know, there's a pretty big, uh, or, or some, I guess there's an MLS club in Utah. There's RSL, but like, what if you're in a, what if you're in a state without, without an MLS club or, or a strong infrastructure, right? There's no way you're getting seen or developed. And if you gotta, you know, like Clint Dempsey's like the great example of this, where he had to quit soccer for a few years because his folks couldn't afford it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the idea that you have to be so superlative to punch through those walls, you know, we should be making it a lot easier for kids to play soccer. So that's kind of at the one level. And then and then the, the next level is you do have, you know, there are two players who were Mexico was clearly scouting at the game that I watched, the under-15 game, um, two under-15 kids, um, uh, Kevin Jimenez and uh, from Leone was the guy. Yeah, you mentioned name. them both yeah, in the story. Um, yeah, and like, that's just going to be, both federations are into them, both federations are tracking them, and, you know, it's going to be a family decision, and you'd hope that U.S. soccer is, you know, doing everything they can to make sure those players feel 
valued and represented and want to be a part of it because you know the competition is is not inherently a bad thing it you, it just means you need to offer them right more I, stuff. I want to see like a in the future like this Mexico versus US arms race for recruiting like when you recruit like KD to come to the Warriors <laughs> the Mexico has this package where like Chicharito pops out and yeah. he's like come home <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so actually actually while we have you Andrew and, and since you so closely follow the USMNT and what's going on in US soccer. We're in an international break, as we mentioned, and the US has these two high profile friendlies coming up. Uh, one with England at Wembley, I believe that's on Thursday, and next Tuesday against Italy and Belgium. What's the state of the US team as you see it right now, still without a full-time coach? I mean, that's probably the biggest thing. Um, what's happened since, you know, the Trinidad game? I think you've said it, right? <laughs> no full-time head coach. Uh, they've hired a general manager, Ernie Stewart, who was with the Philly Union, um, who's now ostensibly supposed to be conducting a coaching search. But then whenever like a news story pops up about was someone interviewed, it turns out no. I mean, all signs are really pointing towards Jay Berhalter. Or sorry, um, Greg Berhalter getting hired uh, by who's the Columbus crew head coach, becoming the the next head coach of the U.S. men's national team. And why it's a little problematic is because his brother, Jay Berhalter, is one of the chief uh, officers inside U.S. soccer. So the 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 one knock on the, the, the Greg the Berhalter nepotism. hire is this, you know, if if the one of the things that uh, the story I wrote um, back in June about why the U.S. missed the World Cup is you have this really insular culture inside U.S. soccer that makes decisions and doesn't really do well when when people come with outside perspectives, it's not going to look great if that was one of the reasons why you failed to go out and hire the brother of, you know, one of the key decision makers inside U.S. soccer. So that's going on. I mean, there's cool stuff, though, happening at, at the player level. Beyond right. Pulisic, you've got Weston McKinney, you've got Tyler Adams. You've yeah, got I'm wondering if these, like, MLS guys, we'll get into MLS in a second, but these MLS players that are mid-playoff or still playing for teams that are alive are going to be called up. I mean, uh, are they going to, I mean, I guess it's two weeks about until yeah. the conference championships. I think they they basically picked up, I haven't looked at the final decisions, but they called up more than they're going to need. And I think the idea was that depending on who stays in the playoffs, you know, like a Tyler Adams with the Red Bulls right. uh, going into their conference championship, maybe he doesn't play. Right. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But, you know, like Josh Sargent, another young guy who showed well recently, there's some really cool young Oh, one more. Jurgen Klinsmann's son I saw got called up. The Jonathan, Jonathan, Klinsmann Jonathan Klinsmann from Hertha Berlin, yeah. goalkeeper. Yeah. Yo, Mike, Mike, I have to ask you a question. Yes, since, please, shoot. Since U.S. is playing England, and uh, I was listening to a bunch of podcasts, U.K. podcasts. Uh, just, about, about Wayne Rooney's waza, like, waza, Wayne Rooney call-up or whatever. Yeah, so basically Gareth Southgate is giving Wayne Rooney one last hurrah. Uh, calling him up just for this game, basically treating it like a testimonial almost. I mean, I don't know if he's going to start or how much he's going to play, but pundits are in a tizzy because they're saying it cheapens a cap. It's denying a chance for uh, potentially some young player to get his first cap. Although Callum Wilson is, did get called up. But, I mean, what do you think? Do you think it's like, I feel like they're making a big deal of, about nothing. I but. mean, it is making a big deal about nothing. I mean, like, I can understand it on a base level just because the excitement over this New England team is just the fact that so many of them weren't even born or, or like, they don't carry the the burden or the understanding of, of England's, like, major world tournament failures. And they have all this young, exciting talent and... 
this kind of run counter, runs counter to that. But at the same time, I mean, like it, it is a friendly in November at Wembley against, to be honest, the states who don't even have a coach yet for real. So, I mean, like it's not really like it's that big of a deal to me. Yeah, I mean, I guess also the English or Europeans in general maybe value a cap more, although there have been a lot of burgers that have gotten caps for England. <laughs> But but for U.S. national team, I mean, it's like they willy-nilly give out caps to people. So I guess it's not as big, maybe, of a, of a you know, like as prestigious. I don't know. What do you think? Um, what, are, what are 20 minutes of a, <laughs> uh, of a, of a game against the United States going to, like, ultimately reveal a, about a player that you can't see in, what, 38 Premier League games? Yeah. yeah. You know? But they're like, you know, it should be Phil Foden or, I don't know, insert person here. Sure. But I mean, like, also... Uh, you know, it's just kind of like a, a general makeup call. He got left off the plane. <laughs> so uh, that wouldn't have been the most ideal way to end the career of England's leading goal scorer of all time. So I'm just ready for the bad take about what Wayne Rooney's uh, call-up means for Major League Soccer. Someone's going to have to write <laughs> Somebody that horrible, has to. horrible take. Somebody oh, yeah, has I just, to. I just saw today that uh, Zlatan won the MLS Newcomer of the Year over Rooney, which is warranted, I think, because Latin scored a shitload of goals. Um, is, John, is Jonathan Klinsman going to play? Or is he just being called up for... Unclear, unclear, you know? But I mean, he's... Honestly, he's one of the, you know, minus his whole little Landon Donovan uh, saga a few years ago. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sounds never, like a bad kid to me, huh? Right, right. Never forget the <laughs> never forget the tweets. Um, minus that, you know, he's one of the the US goalkeeper pool, like never actually panned out. The folks who were supposed to replace Tim Howard, you yeah. know, Bill Hamid is still with DC United after kind of flaming out in Europe for six months. Uh Sean Johnson didn't quite pan out. So you've had this kind of missing generation of who's gonna be the next great American goalkeeper. Um, Brad Guzan is still Amazing. On the roster. Ageless. Immortal. <laughs> Age, ageless Brad Guzan. So, ageless Brad uh, Guzan who gave that the the interview during the All-Star game while playing in goal. That was amazing. What a legend. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, why not? Why not call up a 20-year-old kid who's at least playing in uh because he is he is he he's not starting for Hertha, is he? I have no idea. Okay, Actually, yeah. I just know he plays for them. Yeah. So, so why not? Yeah. Yeah. Can't hurt. All right. So as we mentioned, US. England, U.S., Italy. Also, quickly, international preview. Have you been following the Nations League, Andrew? Not really. I'm yeah. sorry. Neither have we, really. Yeah, I mean, like, it's just kind of on when it's on. <laughs> I, I feel obligated to say the schedule a little bit. For match days five and six are happening in this break. I just highlighted the biggest match from each game, uh, each day. Thursday is Croatia and Spain. Friday, Holland and France. Saturday, Italy and Portugal. Sunday, England v. Croatia. I guess that's apparently a really big one for their group or their table or whatever. And then Germany-Holland on Monday. What do you get if you win the Nations League? Uh, yeah, we talked about that before. I don't think you get a star on your shirt. You probably get some kind of dish. Okay. Some I don't know. They don't even Solid have it in gold FIFA 19. Doll? Yeah. No, is, is it going to be an expansion pack for FIFA? The Nations <laughs> League? <laughs> You get like fair FIFA fair play points, which can be, you know, redeemed at the FIFA store for, you know. You get to shake someone's hand and, you know, I don't know, get a medal. Okay. Anyway, more importantly, is it more importantly? MLS update. Um, the conference championships, the matchups are set. We have Atlanta United 
versus New York Red Bulls in the East. As our colleague Matt James said, a matchup of two of the greatest MLS teams of all time. Do you agree with that assessment, Andrew? I think so. You know, I think you have um, you have two really strong teams front to back in in New York and Atlanta. They were the two teams who were both vying for the supporter shield, which is basically MLS's equivalent of just winning the regular season, right. winning the title. Mm-hmm. Um, you have two really different styles too, which I think will be fun to watch. You have uh, the Red Bulls. Their coach after Jesse Marsh left mid season to go over to Red Bull Leipzig, right? But he kind of instilled this really kind of fun and exciting pressing European style. They play like a 4-2-2-2 and like they're constantly trying to harass you in your own half. Um, it's not quite, you know, the Gagan press, but it's <laughs> the MLS version of that. Um, so they're doing that. And at the same time with Atlanta, it's, you know, a tale of two stars. They have Miguel, Joseph, Joseph Martinez, this like the guy who scored more goals, 31, than 31 like or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then his, his uh, partner in crime, Miguel Almiron, uh, potential Arsenal yeah, target. So I've been saying that. Yeah, so um, it seems Miguel Almiron will be playing somewhere in Europe, you know, come January. Right. So this is your last chance to see him. And the managers send off as well. Yeah, right? and Tata's off to yep. Mexico. Yeah. So, yeah, you just have um, two really exciting teams. And then also, like, what's happening in Atlanta, I can't quite explain, but somehow they have sell out, like, every game with, like, 75,000 people and Waka Flocka Flame comes to all the games. For our, our colleague Victor Lukerson, who's based out of Atlanta, has gone to a game and kind of marveled at, at the turnout. I, I don't really get it, actually. It's, I mean, I don't Mike, know. The, the, the MLS is generally the only major American sports league that gets expansion teams right, it feels like. Because, I mean, yeah. Atlanta United and LAFC managed to create, like, years of history in, like, a span of months. Uh, I, yeah, I shouldn't say I, I don't get it because, I mean, Atlanta has been good. Good usually sells. The stadium is new and amazing. But they were outselling the Falcons, which is, like, unbelievable to me. Yeah. There's some, like, ineffable... Well, the Falcons sucks, so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> who knew there was like Saints a fan? Yeah. You know, this it's like the it's like the 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 Stacey Abrams voters are suddenly yeah. It's like I, that'd be a fun Venn diagram of like Atlanta United supporters versus the folks who are demanding a recount right now in the Georgia governor's race. I'm sure they're a huge center yeah. of that. Props to Don Garber for Atlanta United. Uh, in the West, it's Portland, Portland Timbers, the fifth seed versus top seed Sporting KC. Uh, in our previous episode, Matt was pretty bullish on KC, who I know absolutely nothing about, but I'm guessing they're the heavy favorites in this matchup. I think it's a pretty pretty even even matchup. Obviously, SKC comes in uh, the higher seed, end up knocking off LAFC for the top spot in the in the West. Uh, coming into the playoffs, they're coached by Peter Vermees, who's just been, you know, developed a really solid system of play. They're anchored with. Matt Beasler, who I guess is still probably in the U.S. player pool, but um, Graham Zuzi, you know, they just they're just really solid. Graham Zuzi, Graham Zuzi, San Zuzi, front <laughs> front to back, um, and then you have a, a Portland team that has a has a really cool spine with uh, Diego Chara and Diego Valeri, and a young American. I'm going to butcher his Jeremy Ebosi, Ebobasi. Something like that. I'm 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 butchering his last name. I apologize, but who could be a U.S. men's national team Sounds forward like a candidate? Dual national. Yeah, yeah. I think. Oh, he's, he's U.S. or Canada? I think U.S. or Nigeria. Oh, Nigeria. Yeah, but I think he's he's he's. I'd, I'd need to look up more, but I think he's eligible for the U.S. But 
Yeah, you know, I think, and also you always have that like crazy Portland crowd with the yeah. the guy with the lumberjack who like you know saws off <laughs> actually, trees and stuff. So I have, a, I have a question actually. I I didn't, or maybe too lazy to look this up, but I saw that Atlanta's the top seed in the East. Red Bulls are the second seed. We mentioned Portland's the fifth seed in the West. Sporting KC is the top seed in the West. The the conference championships open in Atlanta and Portland. Is there a reason for that? Yeah, so the return leg will be at the higher seeded team. Oh, so actually, no, Atlanta's not the one seed. Atlanta's the two seed. Right. New York's the one seed. Oh, yeah. Okay, so that's why I screwed so, up. So, and the fun thing is that the highest seed gets to host MLS Cup. And right. so it, it'll either be in the highest overall seed. And so I think it'll either be whichever team in the East wins will be the host of MLS Cup. And the last, I went last year and was in Toronto, which was miserable. <laughs> it's like, who the Freezing. Fuck wants to go to Toronto in December? <laughs> And they did it two years in a row. Well, see, they used to do it, I remember, because I went to an MLS Cup final in, in, in a neutral site. And right. And now they do it at home stadium. I, mean, I think it would be amazing, not just for Matt James, but just in general for the MLS final, or cup final, I guess they call it. Or the, MLS, cup. MLS Cup. MLS to be Cup, yeah. In Harrison, New Jersey at that Red Bull. Yeah. Because it's such a, it's a really dope place to watch a soccer game. Um, all right, Either so there or Atlanta with 70,000 people and two chains. Yeah, <laughs> true. I kind of like the intimate, kind of like dar- Darby kind of atmosphere. Okay, so let's just do some predictions. I'm going to say without any real support. Or, you haven't simulated this one on FIFA I yet? I haven't simulated it on FIFA. Just for the sake of Matt James and just for the tri-state, it's going to be Red Bulls and Portland. How's that? New York versus Portland. That's an interesting matchup. So that's my MLS Cup. Andrew. Um, I'm going Atlanta, Kansas City. Sorry, Red Bull fans. Atlanta, KC, Micah. I am going to go Red Bulls, KC. <laughs> oh, so we all have a different matchup. Uh, so the first legs are coming up, I think, the week after this weekend. And then the second legs within the same week, I think. they do. I think it's the weekend after, it's like the Sunday after Thanksgiving is first leg. Mm -hmm. And then... Four days later. Then four days later. And so like the game in New York, I know is on a Thursday, which is also the first game of my rec indoor league. So I got a a tough choice to (laughs) to make there. (laughs) DVR time. Andrew, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Once again, his story that you should read on TheRinger.com. The headline is, The Man Who's Trying to Convince Some of America's Soccer Players to Represent Mexico. should come back sometime. Do you have another feature in the works or some footy-related stuff you're writing? Um, Not not right now, but uh, I got to get some stuff in. You know, now that my my old dearly departed editor... The XG God Rhino oh, Hamlin no. is in here. The dearly I need departed. to I need to figure out who who to send my pitches Just to. Holler at me, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks so much to Andrew Helms. Thank you as always to Micah Peters, uh, Stringer FC. We'll be back in two weeks. Until then, peace. Let's talk about Hotel Tonight by showing you top-rated hotels with unsold rooms. Hotel Tonight makes it easy to book your stay at an amazing rate. And even though their name's Hotel Tonight, you can book in advance. 
Perfect for spontaneous weekend getaways, three-day weekends, staycations, road trips, business trips, Thanksgiving, Christmas, etc. Booking a place with a pool and more. So to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now.